I got them both sick, so now you can hear me with this one. All right. Hi, good morning. Yeah, see, that works better, right? Um, as I was saying, next week is our fall, what we call family meeting. And what we do is we take a break from our lectionary kind of guided focus in worship, and we, we kind of come back to who we are as a people and what we do in a more concentrated way. It's an important Sunday because it helps you. It, it's one, like, like all throughout the year, I feel like I try to communicate through the texts that, that we cover what it is we do as a church. But on these family meeting Sundays, Jake and I take the time to really specifically address it. And next Sunday, we're going to look at Isaiah 6 and talk about our commitment to worship because I want you to really understand what it is we're doing when we're coming together. We don't just say, okay, guys, pick some good songs, and, and, and then I'll just pick a text. We have something that we do that's very, very important together. And it's really important that if you're going to participate in that, that you understand kind of what we're doing. So we'll talk about that next week and go into a bit more detail. And also, Carrie kind of hit this already. In the foyer, there's a there's a little brochure called Learning Opportunities for the Next Year. Uh, another commitment we have is to learning, and one of the key ways we do that is through our Sunday school hour, both for kids and adults. And since you've been coming at 10 o'clock all summer, I think you can come at 9.45 and just join us in Sunday school. Uh, there's some really good things offered and, and a lot of different things outside of Sunday school that are mentioned in that too, so you can pick that up in the foyer. And next Sunday in Sunday school, I'm going to kind of work through that and let you know about all the opportunities that are coming up. But as for today, we're going to finish up the book of Philippians. We're in chapter 3 of Philippians. And uh, this is going to be a challenge for me because I'm used to having my hands free. And, and I have to hold this here in front of my mouth. So you guys, this is really multitasking for me, which I'm, you asked my wife, I'm not very good at that. Last week, um, Mark did a great job, thank you Mark, talking about what it means to be a part of the family of God, as, with God as our Father. Uh, the week before that, we were looking at chapter 3 of Philippians, and we ended uh, with this, this patience of growing into who God has made us to be. And in chapter 3, 11 to 14, Paul was saying, remember I said he, he called us to do that, he said, I'm going to do that one thing that is three things. The one thing that is three, he said, this one thing I do, and then he said, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on. And then he picks up the text where we're going to finish today in chapter 3, verse 15, and we're going to go down to the end of chapter 4. Yes, I'll try it. How's that? Woo! Thank you, Sig. I'm hands-free. I can drive and preach now. That's good. It's good because I can pick up the text because my eyes won't let me look at it way down there. Yeah, anyway. Chapter 3, verse 15 of Philippians. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For, as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. 
I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, that's a hard one to say, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you've been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. I've received full payment and even more. I'm amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They're a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Now, it's a lot of ground to cover, and I've called the text, I've called the sermon, Having a Good Remembery. Now, that's a word, I didn't create it, I heard it on, you know, you've seen those TV shows where they interview kids, the funny things kids say. And I remember years ago hearing a kid say he was working on developing his remembery. And he was talking about his memory, but he was trying to remember things. And that word has stuck with me because that's what Paul wraps up the book saying. He says, there are some things that you need to know, some things that are true that you need to remember as you, as you continue. First of all, he says, you need to remember who we are. These are key truths of the gospel. He says, everything that I've talked about here and everything that you need to know flows out, first of all, from your identity. And if we can hold on to who we are by faith, and let me just say this really clearly, you have to hold on to your identity in Christ by faith. Because most of the time, the situation around you doesn't look like you are a holy, blameless child of God, forgiven on the path to becoming like Jesus. Most of the time, how many of you would say your life does not look like that? Right? But what the Bible says is we are wholly blameless children of God because of the grace of Jesus, because of his bloodshed on the cross, because of what he's done for us. He has already made us holy. And so we have to remember, we have to start remembering who we are. And Paul says one of the things about who you are is you are secure citizens of heaven. Now, there's a lot to being a citizen. Back in 1967, I was born in a little town called Banner Elk, North Carolina. And because I was born in the United States of America, I got one of these. 
right? I'm a citizen of the United States of America. Please do not throw anything. Please do not critique me, right? Because so a couple years ago, how long? I can't remember what. Guess what else I got? I got one of these. I'm a citizen of Canada, too. I'm both. I can pick a card, any card, when I go through the border, right? <laughs> the interesting thing is about that, <laughs> I don't feel at home in either place, really. There are things about my thinking and the way I act and the way I, the things I, that are still very American. And there are also things that are very Canadian. In fact, when I go down south and talk to people now, they say, you talk like a Canadian. How many of you think I talk like a Canadian? Right? You guys say, you talk like an American. I don't have a home anymore because I've lived in two places. And the, the beautiful thing that I like about this, Paul says, I'm a citizen of heaven. That's really who I am. And there's, there's a lot of things that says, it says we're rooted, we have an identity, we have an allegiance to, to heaven, to, to the kingdom of God. There are rights and responsibilities. There's a mindset. Like I said, in some ways I still think very Americanly. I'm, I'm trying to repent and grow through that, you Canadians. Like, no, I'm te- and some ways I think very much like a Canadian, but the, the point is, when we're citizens of heaven, it's a way of thinking. We see the world based on who we are. There's a a letter written about 100 years after Jesus, the epistle to Diogenitas. And this is what it says. He's, He's describing Christians. As citizens, Christians share all things with others and yet endure all things as foreigners. Every foreign land is to them as their native country and every land of their birth as a land of strangers. They pass their days on earth, but they are citizens of heaven. See, there's something about us living here where we don't quite fit because we, Paul says, you have to remember who you are. You are a citizen of heaven. And the thing I love most about that is that reminds me where home is. That's, that's my home, is heaven. In C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, in the last book, The Last Battle, there's a horse, talking horse. If you haven't read these, you've got to read them talking horse named Jewel. And when Jewel gets to the new Narnia, which is, you know, it's a metaphor of heaven. It's, it's the end of time. All things are being made new. And, and Jewel says, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. And this is the phrase I love. This is the land I've been looking for all my life, though I never knew it until now. And that is a little bit about what it means to be the citizen of heaven. There is, anybody ever feel a longing here, like this just isn't where you want to be? Like there, there are things that just unsettle you about the world we live in. Pauline's waving so much that you're going to... I, I know you, you are, I know, but you're fanning everybody around you. It's, right? We all feel that longing, and it's because we're citizens of heaven, and we're secure in that. Right? I can renounce either one of these, and if I break the law, the government can come and take these away from me. But remember how Paul started the, the letter to the Philippians? To the holy saints in Christ Jesus in Philippi. Not to the people who are going to get holy, but to the holy saints. Remember we talked about his confidence that he had that these people were held by Jesus. And, and there's, we are secure citizens of heaven. Now, but... Jeff, I, I, don't, I don't always live that out. And that's why it's also good that he reminds us who we are. We are in the process toward transformation. If you look at, at chapter 3, verse 15 and 16. 
All of us who are mature should take on such a view of things. That's what he's talked about before. And if on some point you think differently, then too God will make that clear to you. Only uh, let us live up to what we've already attained. See, that, that's really back at the beginning in one chapter, chapter 1, verse 6, he says, being confident of this, that he who started a good work in you will complete it. That's one of the things. We're secure citizens of heaven, but we're also in this process of transformation. And do you hear the graciousness? I love this, 15 and 16. You know, we all should think like this, but if you don't, just be patient. You'll get there. They'll get there. Only, just live up to what you've attained. There's a graciousness in that, Paul says, because we're secure in who we are, and we're growing into that. It's a guaranteed process. In, in chapter 3, verse 21, or end of 20, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables his, him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. We will be made like Christ. Once again, here's Paul, confident of what's going to happen. We are secure citizens of heaven in this process of transformation. And if you get that, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying we look like that every day, but I'm saying that's what we've got to live by. We've got to live by that. Next week, I'm going to tip my hand. I'm talking about worship as, as something that reminds us of the truth every week when we come together. We get reminded of the truth that is true, that we base our lives on. Because the world all week long is going to tell you a different story about what's true and what's important. And the, one of the reasons we come back together is to remember. And Paul is remembering who we are. We're secure citizens of heaven. We're in this process of transformation. Because if we know who we are, it helps us remember how we are. If we can grasp by faith that we are citizens of a whole different reality, it can't help but shape how we live. I love chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. Because it is just so real. Euodia and Syntyche. Now let me, there's some irony in there. Euodia is a, this, it's a female name and it means prosperous journey. And Syntyche means pleasant acquaintance. And they're disagreeing. They're fighting. Imagine that in the church, somebody disagreeing. Doesn't ever happen here, right? But what I love about this whole thing is prosperous journey and pleasant acquaintance are out in the foyer going at each other. It's real, right? You ever have a disagreement with somebody inside this building or somebody that comes to church with you and you think, I can't believe them. That is, that is the reality. There's a, there's a thing I show when people become members, a slide. Reed, you got that slide? Yeah. We love hurting people, okay? Now just think about that. What they're trying to say is we love people who are hurting. But they're actually saying something very true about church is that something about us actually loves inflicting hurt upon people. We, and if you become a part of a church, you are going to be hurt by the people in the church because why they're in the process of transformation. They're not there yet, and neither are you. So you're probably going to hurt people. You see, by faith, we can remember who we are, these secure citizens of heaven in the process of transformation, and that begins to help us as we are living together as one. He says to these two women, agree with each other in the Lord, and then he, he talks about this loyal yoke fellow. It doesn't really say who that is. The, the Greek words for that could actually be a proper name. We don't know. He could have been addressing one individual and saying, help these ladies figure it out. But see... The point is, we are one whether we realize it or not. Paul's talked about that in Philippians already, how we walk as the body of Christ. And, and in Corinthians, he says, when one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And the reality is, when we have struggles in the church, 
It's not a surprise to God. Sometimes we're like, I cannot believe that person hurt my feelings. I cannot believe they said that about me. They're human. Just because they're a secure citizen of heaven in the process of transformation does not mean they're perfect. And we have to start making room for that with each other. We have to start admitting our own faults when we've hurt other people. When there's a problem or a disagreement, we have to stop running away from it. Face it. Lean into it. Guess what? This is not a perfect church. We won't do everything the way you think it should be done. But if you leave, we will never learn what you have to say to us. We have to lean into those disagreements and those difficulties. We have to to work together through those hard times. Loyal, yoke fellow, help these people learn to work it through because they're in the process of transformation. That's another commitment. We talk about commitment to relationships. We don't do relationships well in our culture today where we're honest with each other, where we, we just tend to pick and choose the people that are easiest to be with. And I know it's hard. I know it's difficult to lean in when you're hurt or when you feel like things should be going a different way. But that's a reality that's in every church. And Paul doesn't say, I sure wish those two ladies would just leave and go to the Pentecostal church. (laughs) Right? He says, we've got, we're one. We're in process, so help them work through this. One thing that can help us to go back to what we've just said. We can can live at peace because of who we are. As you read verses 4 to 7 of chapter 4, it all flows out of this secure citizens in the process of transformation. Uh, Just look at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Now, when I was younger, that used to be a threat to me. I read that like, you better watch it because the Lord is near. He's gonna, if you don't let your gentleness be evident, God's going to see you. And, and it's taken a long time to kind of unwind that. You see, what Paul's saying is rejoice, be thankful, let, you can be gentle. Why? Because God is with you. He's never going to leave you. You're a secure citizen. He's, he's taking you through this process of transformation. You can rejoice even in prison, Paul says, even in suffering, even in di- difficulty. You can let your gentleness be evident to all when Euodia and Syntyche are fighting. You can wait in there because the Lord is with you. You cannot be anxious because he's got you. He's got you. But Jeff... This is so hard. How, how do we do that? How do you, you keep that focus? Well, Paul says you, you have to be intentional in our thoughts. Verse, verse 8 of chapter 4. Let me just read it. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Paul says, you've got to begin to take charge of this six inches between your head and what you're actually spending time thinking about. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, beware of what you set your mind on because that is surely what you will become. (laughs) And Paul says, think on these things. He's telling us to drive our thoughts. Now, let me just say something about our culture today, and I'm a victim. I'm not saying you. I'm saying me, too. We have become very lazy in, in directing our thoughts. And a lot of it has to do 
because we are so flooded by messages and images and thoughts every single day. Like, for example, if I had this bucket of balls and I took one of them, who's a good victim? Peter Flynn, you're going to be my victim. And if I threw one of those balls, Peter got it, right? That's all right, terrible throw. (laughs) Terrible throw. Peter got it. But if I took this whole bucket of balls and I went right there to this group, did any of you flinch at all? No, nobody flinched? You would, you trust me, right? Throwing one thought your way, that, that, that's 100 years ago. That's how people communicated. And now constantly, there's 50 thoughts, 50 images, 50 ideas coming at your head all the time. And you say, oh, I can't stand it. I can't do that. I can't. It's just driving me crazy. And then you pick up your phone and scroll through Facebook and get 3,000 more every 10 seconds. Right? What happens is there's such sensory overload in the world today that we drift, instead of directing our thoughts, we drift into a mental autopilot. We do. I've caught myself sometimes just doing that, scrolling through Facebook. I'm not thinking at all. I'm letting the, I'm letting the computer think for me. I'm letting it drive every single thought. And often we need to slow our pace of what's coming at us to begin to take the reins back in our thought process. Okay? And those of you that don't do the internet, don't get back there in your high horse and be all, because you do the same thing with TV or the radio in the car. We're always filling, and, and we just drift on the autopilot, and sometimes we need to stop and make space. And you know what? You know what's funny about that? You're going to feel withdrawal symptoms when you do that. When you decide to set your phone aside, when you stay off Facebook, for a few, you're going to feel disconnected, you're going to feel a little agitated. You're actually feeling withdrawal symptoms from this constant overstimulation, this sensory overload. You will feel it like almost an addiction. But I, I think we have to begin to do things like that if we're going to take the driver's seat in our thought process again. Because, I, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe everything you see on TV and Facebook and social media and here on the radio is, what, what's he say? Uh, true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable. Is everything like that? No. I mean, I'll give Facebook a really good high rating and say 10% of the stuff fits that qualification. 10% of that stuff increases the harmony that you feel with your brothers and sisters. 90% of it drives you the other direction. And Paul says very clearly, you guys need to take control. You want to live? You want to continue in this process? You want to to rest and and not be anxious? You're going to have to let go of some of that constant activity in your brain and begin to focus your thoughts on things that will help you. Slow the train down. And like I say, it will be hard. But then begin to take the wheel and think about those true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy things. So Paul's saying we should, you know, how we are is we should live as one. We should be at peace because God is near. He's with us. And we should nurture that by by focusing our thoughts on things that are helpful and not just drifting into autopilot and letting our brain be fed by all this stuff that will drive us the other direction. And all of this will be helped if we can remember whose we are. Both who and how we are flow out of something beyond both those things. And that is that we belong to Jesus, that we are his. And that truth, if you grasp it, will actually shift everything about your life. Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 6, 
19 and 20, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. You do not even belong to yourself. And I love this section in 4, chapter 4, verses 10 to 13. Because it illustrates something I think that we all long for, even if we don't realize it. It illustrates the freedom of belonging to God. Look at chapter 4, verse 10. He's saying, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you've renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you've been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. For I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. He says, because I belong to God because I am a secure citizen of heaven, because he is going to finish what he started with me, I, I, it doesn't matter the circumstances around me. If I have everything I need, I'm fine. If I'm hungry and in want, I'm still okay. Because I'm his. I'm his. He can be content because he belongs to God. And then there's that famous verse we always use, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I want you to realize that most of the time we're using that verse out of context. Because it's more about contentment than achievement. We use it for motivation. I can do this. I can make this happen. I can, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can fulfill my dream. But that's not the context, is it? Paul's saying, no matter my situation, I can be content because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. His is way more about looking at the situation around him. When, when you can't seem to fulfill your dream, when you can't seem to accomplish what you want, when you don't have everything you need, when you're terrified, he's saying you can handle that because Christ will give you strength in that situation. Even when I think I can't do this, God is with me and he gives me strength. It's, it's less about what we can accomplish and more about who's we are. He's saying that no matter what, you're never alone. We have strength from him regardless of our situation. And he says that's the secret to being content in every situation. You're a secure citizen of heaven in the process of transformation. It shapes the way you live. And ultimately it reminds you that you belong to God. And what's he say in verse 21? My God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Now, Let's be honest about that text. There are Christians all around the world that starve to death. Right? And don't, don't, don't send them a card today with that verse in there, my God shall supply all your need. That's a, that's a thing we have to wrestle with. But ultimately where I've come down is that God will take care of people even through death. Even if they don't eat, even if they die, he will supply their needs because they are his. Now, it doesn't mean we as Christians don't have an obligation to feed. I mean, I think I've got too much food in my house. I've probably got some I could share. We, we have to live in ways that, we'll get to that, because we are God's together. That's ultimately what Paul said. He's saying, you know what? You gave to me. It was a great gift. And, and it's important that we, we give to each other. That God will meet all our needs. We're linked. We're one people of God. And you just got to remember this letter as you read it. Paul's writing it from prison. He's in chains. They've sent him a gift and he's thankful for that gift. 
But he, he's writing it back to these people in Philippi. Remember this, this place of Roman patriotism where saying Jesus is Lord could get you in big trouble. And that's the main declaration of a Christian. Because they were all Roman soldiers who'd given their life to saying Caesar is Lord. And so he's writing this to them and saying, you know what, guys, in, in the middle of this, you've got to remember what Jesus has done, that, that even though he had equality with God, he didn't grasp it. He made himself nothing, and he came down to where we are so that he could meet us and, and, and have us and fulfill our needs. And there's nothing to fear when you realize that truth. Nothing. It's a freedom that other people can't understand that even losing our lives is not a loss. Why? Because he overcame death. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross, it says in chapter 2. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. There is nothing that can happen that can take away from us what God wants for us. That's the call, to follow where he leads, to live out our calling to be a demonstration of the life of Jesus in our lives, that he will not fail us. And... Can you hear that today? Can I leave you? I'm going to shut up. I really am. Um, but can I leave you with that? No matter what you're struggling today, no matter what you're feeling, no matter what you feel overwhelmed by, no matter how... Like, these people reading this letter, some of them were, 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 were looking death in the face every day just by being a Christian. And, and I don't know what your struggle is, but I know you've got them. I know you feel the heavy weight down upon your shoulders. But can you hear today, no matter what that struggle is, Paul's saying to you, you are gods. Not gods like you are gods. He's saying you belong to God. I love that scene in Toy Story. Remember where, where the toy picks up his foot and Andy's name is written on his foot? Do you remember that scene? Woody does that? I love that. And that was his identity because he belonged to Andy. Man, sometime this week when you're overwhelmed, you just pick up your foot, you take off your shoe and you write gods on the bottom of your shoe. You just remember that's who you belong to. And I know the world looks like it's falling apart, but, but by faith, that is who we are, thanks to Jesus. And that he will carry us even through difficulty, even through struggle, even through things we don't understand. Live out your calling. He will not fail you because you are his. Let's pray. God, the world would tell us so different a story than this. It would tell us that we are what we do, we are what we have, we are what other people think of us, we are how good we are at being a Christian, and yet you say right here that you meet us at our point of brokenness, that you, through your love and grace, meet us there, that you, you fill up what we lack, and that you take us to be your own. that you will supply all our need according to your glorious riches in Christ Jesus, that we are secure citizens of heaven. And though this process of transformation looks like it's going to take forever, that you are committed to completing what you've started. Give us hope in the middle of struggle. Give us the, the courage. Because, the, uh, God, help us to see the world is longing for this type of love, the one that you've given us. They long for it. Help us to be witnesses to that fact as we live this out. And lead us, guide us in the way that we should live day to day in light of these truths in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that says it right there. Thank you, Tim, for picking that song. Paul says it in Philippians 1.
I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. That's, that's what we've got, all of us. We're partnering with each other in this thing that's beyond us that we can't even really conceive that God's actually going to make us like Jesus. We're partnering together doing that. And Paul says, I'm so excited to be doing that with you guys. And then he says, here's why. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That is a promise. And you can choose to believe it or not, but I can tell you life's going to be a lot, I don't know if I even say better. <laughs> it's, it's just something, it's something true that you can stand on, that he will finish what he started. That's my prayer for you this week. Amen.